Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in our world, it's quite easy to, as it were, get overzealous for God to bring judgment, to bring punishment, where punishment is deserved. We can be zealous for righteousness and for the God of righteousness to show himself and for wrong to be punished and right to be established. And we know that it will. We know that God will cause the sin of the ungodly to be punished eternally. So this isn't to detract from that, but the timing is often the hardest part. We want it now. We want to see, as it were, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah when it's God's purpose now to show mercy and grace and to gather a people for himself. So what kind of spirit, what kind of heart do you have as we navigate a a world where godliness is looked down upon and dismissed and sometimes even punished? And ungodliness seems to be championed, promoted, it advanced. But we learn from the verses we have read this morning that Christ, on his way to Jerusalem, instructs his disciples and instructs us That for the here and now, his heart of compassion, his heart of mercy must be within us. That our spirit must be modeled after his. And so I'd like to look with you at this passion time service under the theme judgment or salvation. Judgment or salvation, especially from Luke 9, 55 and 56, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Judgment or salvation, three points. The Samaritans reject, the disciples react And the Son of Man reveals. So there's a very significant turning point right here in the Gospel of Luke. Up until now, Jesus had been ministering in Galilee. In Capernaum as his kind of base. And in the region round about. And that's really from the end of the birth narrative to chapter 9 and verse 50. But now chapter 9 and verse 51 comes, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up 
So he would be glorified, especially by accomplishing the work that he would accomplish in being accepted again into heaven, that he would steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the place where prophets were killed. Jerusalem, the place where religious devotion was centered. Jesus knows what lies ahead of him. Verse 44, he says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Or earlier in the chapter, verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. And yet he still goes to Jerusalem. Sometimes, if you were to watch sports, perhaps hockey, though not as much because their faces are covered, but it may be in basketball or in football, that when the national anthem is being played and they're lined up, that their faces are very serious. Their faces show the, the engagement of their mind and their entire being. And what, was, what would happen pretty soon? Christ's face was, in every indication, purposely set. Jerusalem. And we need to stop here and we need to see that the purpose of God was weighing upon him. He didn't go to Jerusalem for a grand welcome and a, and a grand time of, of being accepted. He would go to Jerusalem for the grand rejection. And still he went. He didn't go to Jerusalem knowing that multitudes would would flock to him and follow him. But knowing that he would be left forsaken. Void of large believing throngs. He didn't go to Jerusalem for his own comfort. Because that's where the religious leaders who had names for themselves went. But he went for the good of his people. He went because he was called by the Father to give his life a ransom for many. So this purpose of Christ, he was directing his life one way to go to Jerusalem. And then we need to ask, what kind of devotion, what kind of purpose do we show in our lives? If you're like me, you must confess before God that so often we can be distracted. So often we can be out of step. We can be minded after things that are, are 
maybe not unlawful or sinful, but things that are less vital to the grand and great things. But even the matters of our heart can be so often underdeveloped. Steadfastly set his face. What should our lives be in 2023? We see it at the end of the chapter where there was a desire acknowledged to follow Christ, but not this steadfast, exclusive must be with him now. Always something else to take away. And how these alternatives, how these distractions abound in our day. Oh, be weary. Be wary of that which diverts your attention from the steadfast following. And Jesus, as he moves from the north in Galilee and Capernaum down, he sends messengers before him and they go and they enter into a village of the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were a mixed breed. They, they, we can read of their kind of being formed in 2 Kings 17 where some of the people from Assyria would settle in the northern part of Israel and others from Israel would go up there and they would be mixed together. And the religion was really syncretistic. And in the eyes of the Jews, false. And so there weren't good relations. As a matter of fact, when Jews would come through there, if they had to, sometimes, most of the time they would go around, they would actually, literally, once they step out, they would change their clothes. That's how they, in a symbolic way, were, were leaving Samaria. There would be no great love between the Jews and the Samaritans. Much conflict. And yet Jesus, we read in John 4, he must needs go through Samaria to find the woman by the well. And Jesus here would have his messengers prepare a place for him to, to rest, to dwell for a time as he, as he marched onward to Jerusalem. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Here we see the Samaritans rejecting him. Here we see the unbelievers the those who saw this purpose that his journey was beyond them his entire being 
was not to settle there, but to just use that place as a place of rest, refreshment to continue his journey. You see where people are traveling. They're minded to get to their destination and they're just using the on route or the the stop off just for gas, just to relieve themselves, just for some food, and yet they're passing through merely. And so these Samaritans made no space. They didn't go out of their way to welcome them. And here we see the the natural response of people to the suffering servant. Here we see unbelief's hostility to the cause and kingdom of God. Here we see really the antithesis, that stark divide. They did not receive him. They did not welcome the message of the messengers. They did not have a place. And this is something, beloved, that Christ knew. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 would prophesy. He was one who had no room, for whom they had no room in the inn. From his earliest days, from his birth, he was born out in the countryside in a manger. Here is one that did not have place to lay his head. There was no welcome. There was no sacrifice made for his comfort, for his refreshing. They did not receive him. And here is a picture of our natural hearts, of your heart and mine. We don't come with open hands, ready to welcome him. We turn our backs. And we don't want this man to reign over us. I don't want this man to tell me how to live. I don't want this man to be my Lord. Have you faced your own natural rejecting heart? It's not just them out there, but it's, it's me here by nature. They did not receive him. They reject him. Where does that leave you? Does that leave you trying to do better? Trying to work up more emotions? Work up more of a friendly response? Does that leave you understanding you are worthy of condemnation, of judgment? destruction but notice that the reason for them not receiving him is clear because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem 
They knew. He was a distinct, purpose-driven one. They saw somehow on his, on his entire being that, that he, was, he was not at home there. And so, yes, we can say the Samaritans reject and that the, the guilt and sin is, is theirs, but we also must marvel at the fact that Jesus was so intent on getting to where he was called to be. Sometimes I wonder what his face looked like as he steadfastly said it toward Jerusalem. What his countenance, what his expressions, nonverbal expressions were. What his actions indicated that he had a place to go that was of ultimate importance. And he wouldn't rest ultimately until he reached that place. So the Samaritans reject, but the, the Christ, the devotion of Christ, the fact that Christ made known, he was there not merely to enjoy time, to pass time, but to be advanced in his journey to Jerusalem because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And oh, what a destination that was. Jerusalem, the one he would weep over. Jerusalem, the one that would, the place that would welcome him. Hosanna. But then so quickly turn on him. Crucify him. Crucify him. A place where the religious power in an outward way, the pomp and the glory was extensive but was so destitute. Woe to you Pharisees. You hypocrites. Woe. And he could denounce them with seven woes. Jesus was rejected. We are rejectors by nature. But oh, beloved, Jesus is not stopped. Jesus is not hindered. Jesus continues on his calling. This brings us then to our second point, the disciples react. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias or Elijah did? So their reaction was, may there be a lightning show, may there be fire coming down from heaven. May it be a display of absolute judgment. That would be unmistakable. That would be undeniable. That would be unmitigated. 
shock and awe them so that people would see the repercussions for what it is to reject the Lord. James and John were called the sons of thunder. Boanerges. And here you can see they're stormy, pent-up zeal. Let's start at the end of the verse, even as Elijah did. Perhaps you remember that incident, and if not, you can find it in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1, where King Ahaziah was sending groups of soldiers, groups of messengers to come and, and bring Elijah to him so that Ahaziah could basically kill him. And, a, a, and uh, Elijah was on the mountain, and they say, Oh, man of God, come down from the mountain. Elijah says, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. Consume them. A second group was sent. Man of God, come down. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume. Fire came down and consumed them. Lord, should we not do that with these rebellious and rejecting Samaritans, with this Samaritan town? Consume it. Let its, its ashes be an indication of, of what it is to reject. Even as Elias did. There's precedent. There is previous indicators that this could be done. But then we see also, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven? It's not merely resting in the will of Christ, but it's the awareness. They had a certain spiritual effectiveness. They had a certain spiritual way of having their work established. They were amazed as they could, as they could return. And they could say, well, even the spirits obey. They departed. We read in verse 6, And went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. God was blessing their ministry, and, and they knew that, that God could hear them and, and also use them to, to perhaps bring, bring doom and gloom. But they were wrong. They were healing. They were preaching. They were being instruments of great good. Manifesting the coming of the kingdom. But the call right now wasn't to one of judgment. It wasn't to a display of condemnation. And that's what they were missing. They weren't in line with the times and with the timing of the coming of the kingdom. And then the last thing about this reaction, Lord, wilt thou? 
They knew they couldn't merely do it themselves. They were mere followers. They understood that ultimately it would be the Lord. And that word means that he is the sovereign, the master. Lord, wilt thou? We're going to get a window into the character of Christ here. Wilt thou? We're going to see what he is like. We're going to see that when a place deserves judgment because of their rejection, what does he say? We're going to get a window into how he understands his own work. Does he take immediate knee-jerk reaction if he's rejected that he punishes right then and there? We know certain actions to really get under the skin of our parents. If we act a certain way, if we say a certain thing, that our dad will go off. We know how to, quote-unquote, push their buttons. And we can just about expect that it will be with this color face, that it will be with this tone of voice, that it will be with, with this volume. And the disciples are saying, is Jesus' buttons getting pushed, so to speak, by this rejection that he will unleash? They're looking for a window into his heart. The disciples react. Now, how should we evaluate this reaction? Well, we must say, first of all, that it's not entirely a misplaced. They knew Scripture. They knew Elijah and the account of Elijah. They knew other scriptures. So in that sense, they were suggesting that which aligned with what God had done previously. That's our call is to be searching the scriptures. To know what God has done. To have our minds filled with who God is. So then what is the problem? The problem is that they did not yet appreciate the importance of Jesus taking on judgment himself. That there came one after Elijah who was Elisha, whose ministry was one of healing and miracles and grace. And that Christ didn't come to bring doom and gloom, didn't come to bring fire to consume. Because then the whole world deserved to be, to be punished forever. But Christ came to endure judgment 
Christ came to have the fire. The fire of God's wrath. The fire that would consume the sacrifice. And that's what we can read of numerous times in Leviticus. To have that fire consume him. And thankfully they asked, wilt thou? We will go to what you want us to do. This brings us then to our last point. The Son of Man reveals. He turned and rebukes them. He turns and rebukes them. Ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. If you are intent upon a quick knee-jerk reaction of punishment upon those who reject me, you're not minded like I am. Was it pride? We deserve to be accepted. Was it self-righteousness? We're better than they are. It was wrong. You know not what manner of spirit you're of. Oh, how we need to have exposed to us who we really are. Sin can be so deceptive in our hearts that we can think we're one way when we can be completely different. You know not what manner of spirit you're of. Oh, Lord, search me. Try my heart. Show me what manner of spirit I am that I would be in line with thy spirit, that I would be in line with thy word, that I would be in line with thy son. And then he exposes, he gives the window into his heart, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I don't delight in the punishment of the wicked, but that they would turn and live. The Son of Man, that title of glory, that title of deity, from Daniel 7, verse 14, that title that he is the one before the ancient of days who would receive a kingdom that would never end, consisting of all kindreds, people, tongues, and nations. The Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives. You who might want that knee-jerk reaction of instantaneous punishment. The Son of Man doesn't operate in knee-jerk reactions. He operates in the mission for which he was sent. And that mission is salvation. Notice he's saying this not to the Samaritans. They've rejected. He's saying this to his disciples. And this is said to us as well. Guard your heart. Watch out for an angry Christianity. Where everybody else deserves to go to hell immediately. It's so easy to fall into that. Or can fire come down and consume this group of people, that nation? 
that church. But to save them. That's the wonder of the life of Christ. Salvation. He brought salvation. And salvation required that the destination be not Samaria and the city of the Samaritans where judgment would be shown, but that it would be Jerusalem where atonement would be made. Where he would be hanged upon a cross, bearing not merely the rejection of the Samaritans, but bearing sin, the sin of his people on himself. The Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, to give his life a ransom for many, to let the message of grace and of the gospel of the crucified and risen Savior go forth, beginning at Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. Samaria would have a place in the book of Acts. Apostle Peter would go to Samaria and there preach the gospel. The Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And what was required to save them, but for him to give his life. As the sacrifice. The Son of Man reveals who he is, what's in his heart. He has the heart of compassion. Oh, his compassions fail not. And you and I can spurn, we can reject. But let us remember that he remains compassionate. Savior, our rejection doesn't change who he is. It shows who we are. But then we see, too, his patience. His patience. How he continues to stretch forth his hand to a wicked and a gainsaying people. If he would have dealt with Israel in the wilderness, they wouldn't have lasted a day. They would have all been consumed there in an instant, but he dealt with them day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, for 40 years. That gives us a a glimpse of his patience. And he didn't make a complete stop. Joshua and Caleb were, and the generation upcoming were spared. 
He's patient. Jonah was a prophet who had to come to grips with the patience. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. But God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Slow to anger. What does that say about our anger? We can say it's righteous anger. We can say it's anger for a good cause. But we must watch ourselves. For so often that anger that we would have brought about others could rightly fall upon us if we're honest. God is the God also of truth. Elijah was a prophet of judgment. Let us not think that I can go on rejecting God, rejecting Christ. For there is reserved eternal punishment for those who reject the Lord Jesus. Now is the day of grace and salvation, the day when you can hear the gospel and pray for his spirit to work true repentance in your heart. But there will come a time where it won't merely be a burning of a location. But hellfire. Reserved for the devil and his angels. And for all those who obey not the gospel. The call for you and me is to repent. And to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of Man revealed himself who is intent upon saving. That's his delight. That's what brings glory to his name. That's what changes our hearts. From judge them, O God. Let the fire of heaven come down upon them, O God. To God save them. For you are come, you have sent your Son to seek and to save. What do our actions show? By refusing to engage others, are we saying, let them just be damned? Let fire come down upon them. What do our hearts show about our understanding of Christ, that the Son of Man came not to destroy, but to save? Are you willing to speak? the word of salvation. Knowing you might be rejected, but that's a small price to pay compared to what the Savior did.